Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And we are taping on Wednesday morning. Uh, I just got back from Big 12 Media Days. And as as often is the case, the Big 12 threw a curveball at the rest of college sports. Stu, <laughs> was your head spinning when you were on that conference call yesterday? Boy, did that throw us for a loop, and, and I feel a little bit stupid. You know that Twitter account um, that exposes sports writers' wrong takes? Mm-hmm. I may have set a record for how quickly I got exposed because I want to say 15 minutes before the call started, you know, I said something like, you know, I think um, somebody tweeted, you know, this is expected to be a much to do about nothing, and I kind of reiterated what I had said in the past, which was, you know, they lost their incentive to expand when they – added the championship game and said they're not doing conference network and then 15 minutes later it's like hold, hold the phone you know david Bourne comes on and says okay we had a productive meeting now remember we thought that the more newsworthy thing about this call was going to be baylor baylor had to make a presentation you know basically appease the presidents that they're actually you know going to do the right thing going forward they kind of glanced over that not glanced over but said oh that went very well and then in terms of that other issue, yeah, we've uh, told Bob Bowlesby to uh, go ahead and pursue expansion, 12 teams, 14 teams. I mean, anytime realignment comes up, obviously, it's a big deal in our world. But rarely have I it, – it, rarely has there been a moment quite like this where they basically got on the call and said, yep, we're open for, we're open for bidding. You know, like we're, we're proceeding with this and uh, anybody who's interested, give us a call. So um, obviously – Nothing gets the, the the juices flowing more than expansion candidates and realignment. And we want to bring on a good guest here, our friend Pete Thamel from Sports Illustrated. Extremely connected, always breaking scoops when it comes to realignment. Um, we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about what the heck happened. How did this change so quickly from what David Bourne said, you know, six weeks earlier? And start, you know, playing our favorite game, ranking the candidates. All right, we're pleased to be joined by our buddy Pete Thamel from Sports Illustrated. And Pete, you've been writing about Big 12 realignment for it seems like forever, as have we. Um, you're very plugged into that conference. Are, w- w- did you get a, caught off guard or surprised at all, uh, like I was, that this is the direction that, that they ended up taking off that board of directors meeting? Because I thought, and a lot of people thought, that they were going to come out and announce that it was dead. You know, I, I would like to say I, I wasn't caught off guard, to be honest with you, but if I really had uh, conviction behind that, I would have written some stuff, and I didn't because, I don't know, trying to predict the Big 12, as we've learned over the years, can prove a little bit uh, frivolous. It is just a conference that's hard to predict. And I just kept coming back to why the heck are all these guys in the middle of the summer, you know, going – it's hard to get, you know, 10 college presidents together. So. Right. Uh, a lot of people were very dismissive of this meeting in the media, and I just wasn't. I just there's so there, there's such a financial gap, and the Big Twelve was just behind. So you have this rare summer meeting of these presidents that's unscheduled, and you have this huge gap, and you have all this TV money on the table. I just wasn't ready to sit there and say expansion was dead because it just didn't it just didn't add up. Well, so I, I sat there and thought that I, I certainly didn't uh, I certainly didn't write it. So um, I guess I'm you know. I'm I'm guilty of not following my gut. I'll, I'll go back on something, uh, Stu. You when you and I were with a bunch of other media members out in Arizona at the conference meetings. I mean, that felt like the tone that was coming out of it then. But some somewhere along the way, I think everybody pronounced, or a lot of folks in our our peers pronounced, Big Twelve expansion dead. Well, like you said, the, the, it's very hard to predict them in part because they contradict themselves. Yeah. So. So if you just Correct. use the – Bruce is right. Coming out of the meeting in Phoenix in early May when they had that first presentation, 
you definitely got the sense that, all right, this might be on. Bob Bowlesby is certainly pushing it in that direction. Then they have the meeting in early June, and that's when the presidents first get involved, where they come out and say, all right, we, we, we heard the presentation. There's, not a, there's no interest in the marketplace on a conference network, so we're not doing that. We are adding a championship game because we think that will increase our playoff chances. And then David Boren, who had always been pro-expansion, was very um, you know, ambivalent about it. And that, I think, is when we started to think this is heading in the other direction now. People, I mean, I'll tell you this much. People within the Big 12 who I spoke to or, um, after this announcement on Tuesday said, yeah, we were expecting the exact opposite announcement. So something changed either right before or in that meeting. Well, I think a couple of things. I think, one, a lot of times, like, realignment news trickles down from athletic directors who actually have zero say in what's happening. And this is the consummate example. I don't really think any Big 12 athletic directors are pining to partner with BYU, UConn, whoever. Um, it's Logistically, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of reasons it doesn't make sense. But this was strictly a financial decision and strictly a TV decision. It was basically okay, we can take an extra billion dollars and fortify ourselves and kind of address that perception that we're behind. I think Boren called it psychological disadvantage infamously uh, a little while ago. And we can at least say, okay, so for 10 member schools, that's an extra 100 million a year. I'm sorry, an extra 100 million uh, until 25 estimated, obviously. I was not a math major at Syracuse. So they're basically going to take the perception hit of taking on inferior schools. Obviously, if there had been prime candidates, the Big 12 would have added them already. So I just think that the president sat in the room and looked at the data and said there's no reason why we shouldn't do this financially. Let's catch up. Let's address the perception issues um, that, you know, that we're lagging behind the other major leagues. And uh, I think a lot of ADs in the league were pretty stuck, to be honest with you. Well, let me. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Let me ask this because the money gets thrown around a lot, and it's. I feel like some of the details are murky. What what we're talking about when it comes to some of the other leagues, because it's, you know, with, with the Big Twelve especially, because it's a little confusing. And we, I think, Stu and I had George Schroeder from USA Today on probably a couple of months ago, and I thought he did a good job of kind of laying out where some of the money is with Texas, with Oklahoma, with some of these. I don't know if it's fair to call the long run network a side TV deal, but uh, where do you tier s- rights would yeah, be the, the umbrella term. term. Where do yeah. you see that going given uh, just the TV landscape as it is shifting so fast? All right. Well, this is how I'm going to break this down, and this is essentially verbatim how it was explained to me by someone with way more intimate knowledge of this than me yesterday. So – the Big 12 payout last year, I think the published amount was about $32 million. Does that ring a bell, guys? Yeah. $32 million. All right. Now, the way it was pared down to me, to my understanding, was that 25 of that 32 is pure TV money, meaning the rest of it could be considered college football playoff payout, NCAA tournament shares. Um, there's some third-tier revenue rights, all that stuff. So let's cut 32 to 25, okay? And that's just pure TV from Fox and ESPN. And, again, that's like an estimate. And it's an easy round number, too. So if you, the way the Big 12 television contracts are written, if you were going to add a member, you have to add them for the same TV dollar amount. So four members becomes $100 million a year, all right? And then you extrapolate that through 24, 25. So that's nine, nine seasons, I think, if you do 17 through 24 eight or nine seasons, plus add the conference title game, which they've already done, you end up in that neighborhood of $1 billion. Um, so like that $25 million doesn't include what Texas gets from Longhorn Network. K-State actually gets a nice bump from its third-tier rights. Oklahoma has a, a fairly lucrative third-tier right, too. So this still doesn't, you know, get into uh, get into some of that. So. I had a weird pressure on me answering that because George is a lot smarter than me and knows the Big 12 better, so I hope I was able to articulate it as uh, as thoroughly as uh, as he was on your podcast a few months ago. No, no you were, and, and by the way, I, when you said very dramatically $1 billion, I, I very much pictured you putting your pinky up to your lip like Dr. Evil when he said, <laughs> when he said that in the movie. $1 billion? Um, here's where I'm confused. That is a very, you know, obviously that's an eye-popping... Like, wow, sure. you're going to make a billion dollars. 
But if, as you said, your way you're getting to that number is just basically taking the number each school gets now and multiplying it by four, then nobody's making more money per school out of it. This is a lot of trouble to get to the exact same number you're at now, or am I missing something? All right. And this is the point I tried to drive home in my column today. Uh, so if BYU, let's just use them as a generic example, they seem to kind of be a, a leading candidate here. So if Actually, you know what? Let's not use BYU because they have a weird TV deal. Uh, let's take Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Perfect. Cincinnati. Generic Cincinnati comes in. And I don't know off the top of my head what Cincinnati makes from the American, but let's just say it's $10 million bucks, just so we can use some round numbers. So just like Rutgers and Nebraska and Maryland did with the Big Ten and West Virginia and TCU did, Cincinnati, hypothetical Cincinnati, comes into the Big 12 in a pro rata situation. So they are still only going to make 10 million per year. Again, this is all going to be negotiated and Boren sort of threw a shot across the bow talking about finances yesterday in the press conference. But essentially the expectation is these schools are so hungry for the last remaining table scraps uh, to use Bruce's beautiful analogy. It's 1245 at the bar and they're like scrambling to to pair up. Um, (laughs) They they will come in at the same amount they are being paid in the American or a similar amount they are being paid in the American. So that leaves an extra fifteen million to to be sliced up amongst the the Big Twelve schools. So if you take fifteen million and then multiply that by three, just for the sake of round numbers, now you're talking forty million. So that becomes an extra couple million a year for each school. So these schools are probably going to make an extra million, extra two million a year off our recital game, and then you're going to make an extra at least. Two million a year just off of off of that. So, again, that is the way that I. But that is temporary, it. right? Sure. Don't they? When they get phased in, they get phased well, in. It's all, eventually, it's they all would temporary. Get, yeah, they it's eventually all temporary they would get the payment. Correct. So when they the whole the, my understanding of this is that like my understanding of like Rutgers for example is once the Big Ten does its new deal in the next couple of years, Rutgers is a full share in that new deal. But when you come on to an old deal, you can kind of bring them in and not pay them. That is my again, understanding of this. But look, I don't work for one of these consulting firms, but that that is the way that that that, that it was explained to me is how these current. So look, who's sort of you know obviously Texas and Oklahoma are driving the bus in the Big Twelve. But if you are, and then there's just sort of a bunch of schools trying to get by, right? You look at Baylor, you look at TCU, you look at Texas Tech, you look at Iowa State, you look at the Kansas schools. Um, so it, all of a sudden now, if you can get an extra couple million a year and the pot grows by, by a decent amount, and then you extrapolate that all over a long period of time, say that ends up being you know, $30 million over you know, over 10 years, that's, you know, that's too much money to leave on the table, which is why I wrote so strongly going into their last meetings that they were going to take a conference title game because it was just too much money to leave on the table. If it's 25 million a year for nine, 10 years, you know, that's a quarter billion dollars. Like, no, you can't say no to that. And they're, they're really, you know, you think about all the big 12 and, you know, everything, everything that they've done, all their, all their sort of, mistakes and pratfalls going back to the last nonsense of realignment with what was that guy Bowen Lofton and David Boren giving competing press conferences and all that. Ultimately, I think these, you know, the, the people, the presidents in the room now are like, let's get it while we can here. Cause who knows what the big 12 is going to look like when it goes into this, uh, when it goes into this new TV deal. Well, one of the things that I think appropriately, was you can hear the, uh, the, you can hear the fire, uh, the fire and, driving by my apartment right now. So yeah, they're, they're, they're going to, um, there's rioting in the streets of Provo and uh, Memphis right now, and, and that, that fire engine is going to put it out. Well, well one of the things <laughs> that after the conference call, and I had already left the Big 12 media days in Texas, I was on a plane when I saw uh, Dennis Dodd tweet out a comment from Bob Bowlesby. Now, as we said earlier, Bob Bowlesby is a I mean, I like him, but he is a loose cannon with some of this stuff. He does 180s left and right. And he had said football-only members is a possibility in expansion. I don't know how strong of a possibility that is. When I heard that, I was like, wow, that would bode very well for BYU because it would clear up some of their scheduling headaches with their with their issues on playing on Sundays as it relates to other sports. Uh, and, and then I had seen somebody else tweet, well, and I don't know if this was Andy Katz. I, I think it, was, it showed up on my timeline about 
well, if it's football only UConn, I was thinking, wait a minute, why would somebody only take UConn as a football only? I don't see, you know. It was uh, Mark Blauchin, formerly of the Boston Globe, who is now part of his own site, threw that out as possibility. Yeah, the idea that that all of a sudden said, let's go from Lubbock to to Rensselaer Field for games, just I don't get what UConn football only brings, why you would do that. Yeah, I that is a possibility. I definitely wrote about that a couple months ago. That kind of just as the as an well, option being me and, why. and I still think that that's an option on the table. Why is that uh, appealing to the Big Twelve for football only? I'm not saying UConn's athletic department doesn't bring a lot to the table. Obviously, they're they're phenomenal in women's basketball and really good in men's basketball. But football only for UConn? Well, I I just think. I don't, I don't think you can look at like the football only option through the UConn prism, Bruce. I think you can look at the football only option as like that just might be a little bit easier for the Texas Midwest centric core of the Big 12 and their revenue sports. Um, I agree. Certainly, like every time I, I talk about this stuff on on the on the radio or on a podcast or whatever with UConn, I always say, "Quick, name the best player in UConn football history." And now Stu Bruce probably can name the best Dan football Orlowski. player in UConn history. Yes, correct. Good. You can He's still too. playing. He's still the third string quarterback. <laughs> that, the the right. peak of so, the Randy Edsel era at UConn was like the first year they were in the Big East and they still had him. Well, they did go to that bowl they game. They did go to that bowl game. By, uh, yeah. Got slaughtered by Oklahoma in the, uh, in, the, in the Fiesta Bowl. And look, UConn's a solid program. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking. There are reasons for UConn. There's market. Look. All these candidates are totally and completely flawed. It's again, you're you're in the bar at twelve forty five, as Bruce likes to say. Like, you're 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 not picking up Miss Universe. Um, you know, if there were perfect candidates, they would have been added a long time ago. So I just hope this doesn't can... disrupt the fabled UConn UCF rivalry. <laughs> um, it could perpetuate it, Stu, if they both yeah. end up in. You uh, I mean, you, you do uh, you you do never know. Um, my whole thing with football only from the macro guys is, is this like when you start adding football only, like there's, there's, there's a sense of temporary to it, right? Like it, there's just like you're the big 12 has never been built to last in its earlier iterations because there was unequal revenue sharing and you're never going to have to build a leap that lasts if everybody's not equal. Now the Longhorn network sort of keeps that inequity and has kept that inequity. Like the big 12 is not built to be around and flourishing in 2040. It's just not. And so all these things, and we've seen these little temporary dam plugs in the Big 12, um, you know, over the last 10, 15 years. And if you go football only, it's just another little temporary dam plug, in my my opinion. So, um, I mean, the Big 12 is fundamentally flawed when it comes to this, and that's why it's considered the most vulnerable of the leagues. And if we do ever end up with four mega super conferences, the big 12 is still on the outside looking in, in my opinion, um, an ACC TV deal certainly uh, perpetuates that notion and their, their long-term, uh, their long-term grant of rights. And say what you want about the ACC. It's not a perfect conference, but it does not have that undercurrent of dysfunctionality that has defined the big 12 for so long and gotten the big 12 into this mess. No, I think if anything, John Swafford doesn't get enough credit for taking what, you know, 10 years ago, probably more than that now, I mean, the ACC and the Big East were basically the same in football, right? They were the, they were the considered behind the other leagues. And now one, mm-hmm. exists, now one exists and is kind of flourishing. I mean, Florida State won the title uh, mm-hmm. in 13. Clemson was there last year. Uh, and the other one ceases to exist. So now some of that was pretty predatory on his part, but... Getting but getting getting them to I mean getting them to even sign a grant of rights a few years ago was considered an achievement at that point there was you know rumblings that Florida State wanted out so and Clemson so um, I'm sorry I think I went on a little bit of a tangent there but yeah I think the ACC <laughs> is actually a I would say the ACC frankly has more of a, a stable reputation at this point than the Pac-12. She was going to show up in Cleveland this week, stumping for Swafford, huh? Make, make the ACC great again. <laughs> you talked about this with us a little bit before we came on. We were talking about how this – so on the one hand, this doesn't have the major domino effect in theory that, you know, when, when Texas A&M left for the SEC and, and the danger that put the Big 12 in or – 
you know, uh, any number of moves over the years that involved a power conference school going to another school or a Big East school going. This is all group of five schools we're talking about. However, yeah. doesn't it? It feels like the Hunger Games to me because the stakes are so high between being in a power five or not that when he basically, when Bowlesby basically said on the call yesterday, um, we've had a lot of interest, and when this news breaks, I think we're going to get a lot more. Like, <laughs> everybody wants a piece of this. Yeah, Bob Bowlesby, God bless him, is delightfully understated in his sort of uh, distinct monotone. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, just judging from, you know, the flurry of text messages I got from that conference call until about midnight last night, uh, yes, it's sort of, I picture, like, the last people trying to, like, jump off the boat into the rescue boat. Like, that's sort of what the what the, what the scene is right now in uh, in college sports. If it was a political cartoon, it would be like the last few people on the deck of the Titanic trying to, like, jump off to uh, jump off to safety. We uh, got all these crazy it, visuals here with Stu's Hunger Games analogy. I, I picture now <laughs> that makes John Swafford the Jennifer Lawrence of, of college athletics. <laughs> Luckily, I don't even know enough about pop culture to like be able to like place a Hunger Games analogy. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, but we can go back to Bruce's. Strangely, strangely, like, Tommy Tuberville might be the Jennifer Lawrence in this scenario. I mean, he's out there. <laughs> wow, he's, you know, he's out there. Change a couple years last, ago. Last right. one standing lives. I mean, and he and, and God knows Tubbs is a survivor in, in the college coaching carousel. Um, no, I mean. Somebody uh, said this on Twitter, and I wish I could give them credit, but I can't remember who. Um, the pressure this puts on ADs and presidents at these group of five schools—you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be the one that doesn't make the cut here. Correct. If you are in that sort of crew of, you know, BYU made their intentions very clear what they want to do with that Twitter message yesterday. So, if you are one of these folks trying to jump off the the boat and you don't get in the rescue boat like it's that's just bad news because that's a that becomes a maybe a 20 million dollar annual difference for your for your school so good night irene um if you if you can't uh if you can't get that so no i mean the, the stakes are unbelievably high i'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the american conference media days in, in a couple weeks where there's gonna be a lot of like crooked looks from athletic director to athletic think, director and everyone's think, gonna have to sort of you think toe Bulls, the line and say the right things but is Bowlesby going to be at the clam bake? <laughs> I don't think Bob Bowlesby will be invited by Mike Oresco to yeah. the uh, to the the uh, the old Big East, the artist formerly known as the Big East clam bake. Well, if you had to rank them, Pete, uh, I mean, this is to I can't me the it took most us twenty minutes to get to this part. I know, Bruce. You're just trying to like light up my mentions right now. <laughs> With, I like, am. I'm trying. I'm trying to. Uh, alienate you from all these other fan bases in different parts of the country. Yeah. So to me, the the safest pick of all of these is Houston. I mean, I'm sorry, not Houston, Cincinnati. It's a travel partner for West Virginia. It's an outlier. They're good in a bunch of sports. It's a good-sized media market. It's hometown to to stew, which is another appealing thing that I'm sure Bob Bowlesby wants wants on board. It just, and Navigate Research often brings that up, Stu's uh, <laughs> Well, who's playing those people with drinks all weekend? Don't so that underestimate the appeal of Skyline Chili to some of these visiting coaches and ADs. I'm going to underestimate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but am I wrong to think Cincinnati would be the safest of the you know of the possible six or seven that are in the mix here? I, I don't think you're wrong, Bruce. Like, if you're going to put together a list, like the question you need to answer is like. What are you looking for? You know, are you looking for who's going to bring the most eyeballs? Because that would be BYU as a no-brainer mm-hmm. because of the religious uh, connection to the school. And if you look back historically, how they're established. And again, like, I don't know how far the Big 12 is thinking ahead. The Big 12 has never really thought much past its nose. If you look at the, the decisions that they've made the past 15 years, like if all of a sudden Netflix and you know, whoever else are going to be bidding on these things, Snapchat, Hulu, uh, et cetera, what all the kids are streaming on right now. Um, I think BYU for a cable audience reach situation would probably have to come in first because no one has the national resonance footprint and following that BYU does. 
Um, so, as, and again, all these things, I'm not knocking other programs. Everyone has their strengths and everyone has, has, has their warts. If you were to ask me, okay, what football program will be the best in 20 years? Like if this is a legitimate 20-year decision, which the Big 12 makes very few of, but if this is a legitimate 20-year decision, what football program is it? I think it's Houston as a no-brainer. Right, guys? Yeah, the only thing to me with that is I think it's not just the Texas schools that I think, and I get it, that's the president's not the coaches who makes this decision, but I think the Texas schools one, but also like Oklahoma State, they don't want to put – they've seen TCU rise up and to be a powerhouse, and mm-hmm. I just don't – I think they would be so – But you're not answering the question, Bruce. The question is what school is best positioned to have the best football program in 20 years? Yeah, I would think it would either be Houston or BYU. Yes, yes. I think those if, – if that was your only criteria – I think in those those two would be the answer. Houston has the media market. Houston has the recruiting base. But I do. I, what I'm about not, UCF? I'm not dismissing what you said, Bruce, because there is a internal. I don't think Houston gets in, to be honest with you, um, because if you're Texas Tech, if you're Baylor, if you're, if you're TCU, Oklahoma if you're State, Oklahoma State, yeah, yeah, no question. Oklahoma State's lived in Houston recruiting wise for for years. So if you're those schools, why do you enable and empower a school to do that? But I just think that's short sighted. Um, I just generally, if it's sort of the good of the game, like that baseball clause, or if, if you're really looking out for the best interest of the league as a whole, not your individual slice of the cookie and not your individual, like if you're like Gundy, you don't want Houston, but if you want to have competitive national powers competing at the highest level in 20 years, Houston is going to bring you a lot more than UConn. Um, and I just think that's, but that's I, d- I agree with you. Mental hurdles. Yeah. I agree with you on that, Pete. But I think that the people, even the presidents, are still going to be very selfish in how they do this and go. How will this affect my my football program's brand? Football is the biggest deal we have, and if it makes sure. it makes it harder to get to the playoff, it makes it harder to have a ten win season, which it would. Um, yeah. And that's not to say, you know, that I think that they would not go against their own purely selfish interest. And I just don't see them going yeah. around to that. I think this I, is I setting agree. up for heartbreak. I agree with you, Bruce. I just, think it's, I just think it's dumb. That's all. I just think yeah, that when you right. really sit back and look at the big picture, it's not, it's just not, it's not a good, it's not a good decision. Let me, let me flip it, flip it to a different yeah. way. And this yeah. is a fact that you've mentioned the Big East. Yeah, I, I think if you looked at asked the decision makers at Miami or a lot of the influential people, would you like to go back to the way it was in, in the Big East as opposed to where it is in the ACC? And again, I don't think the reason why Miami has backslid has to do with the level of competition in the ACC. But I think there's a lot of people who would rather have the better chance to be on top of the mountaintop than be part of a strong, financially solid footing you know, conference. I agree with that, Bruce, but Miami is sort of a clunky analogy because they were contending for national titles in the Big East. Yeah. So they're not, they weren't like dictating expansion. Like these are generally middling schools. When you talk about the mid-tier Texas schools and the Iowa States and the Kansas States and, and, and whatever, these are middling schools who need to make, you know, who, who love the Big 12 and want the Big 12 and need the Big 12 almost desperately, quite frankly. I remember, remember when there was that weird window for a couple of days where everybody thought Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, uh, yeah. it, it maybe Baylor were going to go to the Big East. Like, that was real for a few days back in whatever miserable year that was when we were Bill dealing Self with all this stuff. Bill Self thought he was going to be in the Mountain West at one point. I vividly remember talking to Bill Self about the Mountain West. Like, yeah. that is like a vivid memory I have. Of, but some of like, the school, you know, I mean, Oklahoma State. We're not going to go play Wyoming. <laughs> Oklahoma State is one of the schools you're talking about. They came close to playing for the national title a couple of years ago. I think they still see themselves on that. I think you have to go back to the last Big 12 round of realignment and kind of what you're referring to, Pete. Remember, the same thing we're talking about with Houston. TCU was in that position for a long time. Texas Correct. in particular did, yes. wanted nothing to do with TCU. You know, There's the famous story from Chris Del Conte that um, – the Lost Odds didn't know his name originally. Um, Called him Dell. Yeah. yeah, the TCU AD. <laughs> but then they got desperate. You know, the first time around, they, they could afford to be picky. The second time around, when it was basically this or extinction, 
they didn't have a choice. They took TCU, and guess what? TCU has done exactly what they feared and risen up and, and you know, beats these teams regularly. Big 12 is not in that position right now. They can afford to be picky, and I, I think this is setting up for heartbreak for Houston fans because right yeah, now— Yeah, I, I, I disagree with you. They're fifth out of five right now, and, like, they— like you have to make decisions like you're on the brink of extinction. You you don't have some cushion right now and can and can take schools that can't move the needle. If you want to exist in 20 years, in 25 years, you need to take schools that can can sort of deliver the goods in the long term and and have proven markets in in recruiting bases. And I just think you need to take the best schools possible without nearsighted bias. In my opinion, um, I understand all the other perspectives, but that's just if you're really looking from like, you know, this is almost like you're, you're looking at retirement at uh, at our age right now. Like, what what's going to be best when you're you know in that in that realm? And you and you have to you have to choose you have to choose that way and take out any short sighted market biases. What about Memphis? Memphis is a school that uh, if you if you had brought this up as a possibility three years ago, everybody would laugh at you. You know, they were that bad in football sure. and didn't have fan support and whatnot. And Justin Fuente had a nice little run there. We'll see if it's sustainable. I mean, Memphis people are talking like this is a done deal. We're going to the Big 12. Yeah, I don't know if they're talking like it's a done deal, but they, they, they see it as an opportunity. And, look, the big swing with Memphis is FedEx, and it always has been. Uh, I went on Jeff Hawkins' show in, uh, in, in Memphis on, uh, on Wednesday, and – you know, he, he made a great point, uh, just a longtime columnist and, and Memphis former former lawyer, and he, he said that without FedEx, the Grizzlies probably wouldn't be in Memphis right now, and there wouldn't be a PGA uh, event there. They have to play at the FedEx Forum. So FedEx is willing to financially do that. So if Memphis walks up to the doorstep and says, we'll take $5 million a year in TV money, and you can divide up, like, that, these are the kind of deals that are going to be cut. Uh, now... I don't know. Memphis is a decent market. It's a, it's a better geographic fit than some of the candidates, not not all of them. I mean, look, there's arguments for for each of them. It's a decent recruiting hotbed. It kind of fits the the, the, the culture of the league. It does have a very low academic profile, which Jeff pointed out on his show, um, and I thank him for pointing it out and not having me point it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's what is, you know that that's not. Let that. me stop this, you there. This is a good curveball for for you guys. Uh, Last night I got a, a text from uh, a, a big false source. It said, don't sleep on Tulane. And you, you got to remember now, these are still presidents that are making this decision. And uh, there's there's some momentum. I'm not saying Tulane's in or anything like that, but there's some momentum for Tulane because, well, they're in a major market. Uh, they've just done a nice job building a stadium and facilities, blah, blah, blah. But academically, Texas considers itself like a public ivy. So, Tulane, they feel like is a better fit, and they'd rather go recruit New Orleans than in, in academically with you know with the, with how they think. So, I mean, ultimately, you got to remember, like I don't think Texas was dying to expand like this. So, I think there's probably going to be some pretty good sway from Austin and who they have to fit. That is like pure speculation on my part, but I don't know when that when that notion was was brought up last night. I was like, no way, and then I was like. Mm, presidents, you know, presidents. Yeah. That's how presidents think. Why don't we go rapid fire? Uh, yeah, why don't we go rapid fire through a few of these other schools that have been brought up? Colorado Lightning State. round. Yeah, Colorado, go. Colorado State. Probably a little more momentum than they're getting publicly right now. Uh, giant alumni base, to go back to that whole uh, BYU, Netflix, you need people to watch. New stadium being built, which is supposedly unbelievable. And, uh, look, if they do have BYU, BYU's out there on an island in the mountain time zone. It gives them paper. So I, I don't think Colorado State ultimately makes the cut, but I do think they'll get more consideration than they probably have to give publicly. Better chance than Tulane? Oh, God. Like, this is, like, the most realignment question of all time. I have no <laughs> idea. Because it all matters what they want. Like, do they want academics? Then it's Tulane. Do they want, uh, you know, a good market in a, in, a, in a big alumni base? Then you go Colorado State. Like, I just I don't know really how they're going to pin it down, and I don't really think they know right now. Well, that's before the thing. we finish the stew, yeah. we have to get Stu to rank. We have to get Pete to rank the academic profiles of the seven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to do that. 
All right, I got a couple Bruce, more. I'm just going to put all the eight colleges you went to in, in, in the order one to eight. Uh, no, I, I hate having to bring up academics. Nobody wants to be the person yeah. who says, oh, your school has a bad academic reputation. Like, not to the people who graduated from it, but it it matters in that room with the presidents. Uh, Boise State, yeah. any momentum? For we got you? another fire engine coming by, by the way, just to, to go to be a nice sound effect of the academic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Boise State, any momentum? You know, maybe if it's football only, I, I, I think Boise is a long, long, long shot. Uh, bad market. Academics aren't exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, but really bad market more than, more than anything. I've, uh, Boise gets on a lot of lists because it makes sense because of football performance for the past 10, 15 years. Hey, I don't a good TV a, view. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, people watch the blue turf. Uh, yeah, uh, look, I, you know, I, when I'm flipping channels and I see Boise, you, you know what you're getting. It's a, it's a good established product. Uh, yeah, to me, they're not that different at this point than BYU in terms of national. I mean, they, Chris Peterson built them into a national brand. But like you said, Pete, I don't think they have much else going in their favor. Um, yeah, well, here, here's the thing. People are going to watch BYU because of the religious connection in a lot of different places. Boise is for, like, the college football Thursday night junkie night gamblers. That, like, it's just that they, they don't have the same national residence as BYU. Their program is equal to it, but the following is not and probably never will be because of that unique component. Okay, UCF and or UCF USF. and USF. There you go. I feel like Bruce and I yeah. can hear each other right now. We keep asking the same questions. You're like the Bobsy twins. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, look, like, gun to my head, I can't really like say UCF's better than USF. They're both they're both in in great markets. USF is on a little bit of an uptick right now under 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 Willie Taggart. Um, but if we'd done this a year ago, they were on a downswing. So momentum is fickle, and obviously UCF went, had one of the worst seasons of anyone in college football last year. But if you're going markets and recruiting base, they are sort of in that Houston area where, like, 20 years from now, with the right support and good hires, et cetera, one of those could be could be a national power. Just out of out of out of pure out of pure logic, because of where they're located and, and where they're recruiting, and uh, I think that, I think they're both good options. You don't hear about them a ton, but I do think they're I do think they're both they're, they're both solid logical options for you know football growth reasons. Just based on the conversation we're having now, you can see how difficult a decision this is going to be. Like, there's not an obvious answer. Uh, it's not, you know, I would imagine when the Big Ten, Nebraska possibility came up, that conversation took 30 seconds. So I think back to, you know, as we talk about great moments in Big 12 realignment history, that they were, <laughs> they were if you recall, they were like moments away from adding Louisville, and Chuck Ninus talked them into uh, West Virginia instead. And, the, and the, I don't know if it's an urban legend, but what I've always heard is that he, it was something to do with the airport. And and which is ridiculous because Louisville is right next to an airport. But anyway, like what's gonna that? Don't you see this ending? This is gonna end up with something even stupider than that. Like the amount of arguing and debate there or, or disagreement there's gonna be in that room. Somebody's gonna be diehard for Memphis. Somebody else is gonna be anti. Like, and it's all gonna spill over publicly. Like, what are the chances that this comes to some sort of clean resolution? Well, I mean, it's the Big Twelve, so I mean. We have our popcorn ready, and we're, and we're ready to see. We're ready to see what they do. But no, there is no like. Let's rank the four most logical and go because there's so many different. There's all the candidates are so imperfect, and there's so many different paradigms that you can view them and rank them and judge them through. So my understanding on on West Virginia, by the way, I hate to to, to kill your urban legend, was that in like football ratings metrics and national residents, they were viewed as like a tick. Um, a tick more than, than than Louisville. But speaking of 12:45 a.m. at the bar, regrets. Uh, I mean, the Big 12 just must feel absolutely foolish for for not inviting Louisville. Looking at the candidates that are on the board right now, in fact, I know they think that they are. Like that was just a, in retrospect, a, a completely short-sighted. Like, go gather all the all the strong assets you can. I remember they were taking the tires with Pitt too. I mean, those are all exponentially better options. Uh, than they uh, than they have uh, than they have right now. Um, 
I mean, I'm, you know, people at Louisville, when they picked West Virginia over them that day, remember like Mitch McConnell got involved, Senator Rockefeller's office. Like that was one of the all time, like bizarro realignment days. I remember calling Senator Rockefeller's office in West Virginia, Senator McConnell, and I was like, whoa, I did not expect this when I woke up this morning, <laughs> you know, in the, you know, in the middle of like a political, a political tussle. But that was a critical strategic mistake by the, uh, by the Big 12, because Louisville would have crawled there. Tom Jurich was crestfallen. And, of course, the mistake ended up being the best thing that ever happened to Louisville in the history of its athletic park. That's not an overstatement, because they eventually slid into the ACC, which is just an exponentially better fit for them uh, geographically, basketball-wise, market-wise, you know, Every, every, every possible. I mean, this is a place that admitted Willie Williams, like, you know, and all of a sudden now they're playing all these, you know, Duke and BC. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the best thing that's ever happened to, uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to Louisville. I've been pretty proud that I brought Willie Williams up. Yeah, well, it probably wasn't a, it, it's such a great thing for West Virginia or is, because West Virginia, I think, became a much tougher job than it was that, say, when Rich Rod was there. I mean, now you're not even Wait, one first, of the... that doesn't even matter. Like, they're, they're on the right side of the divide. Like, for what no, Virginia, I get it. I'm just saying yeah. in terms of, you know, we're talking about from a football perspective, if, they're in the, yeah. if they were in the ACC, I think it's a much different deal for West Virginia. I think West Virginia would have a way better chance of competing consistently in that conference. The, the Big 12, it's like, I'm not saying the Big 12 is a, is a significantly better football conference, but I think just the way it's yeah. set up when you're a program that's trying to recruit Texas, you're not going to go into Texas and beat any of those other schools for players. And you're just, you know, resource wise, you're just not on the same playing field with those other schools. Correct. West Virginia is an odd duck fit in that league. There's no question. It's a very difficult job. Obviously when they were very good under, uh, under Rich Rodriguez, they were able to go cultivate, you know, South Florida as really their, their and get second tier kids out of there. And that was like the bold divines of the world, uh, except they and still that do that. Their, they still do that. They, I mean, look, Stedman Bailey was a really good player. Yeah. You know, they had Geno Smith, but I just think it's a tougher, it's just, it's a sure. more stacked league. It's just tougher to be. Yeah. Well, and it's, Hey, come to Morgantown, West Virginia. Your parents can fly to Ames and Lubbock to see you play. Like it doesn't make any sense. Where in the Big East, there was some natural geographic ties that helped them mine Florida. In the ACC, there would be a ton. Now, the ACC had to sort of ditch aside its, uh, its, its snobbery to take Louisville. Would they have taken West Virginia? I don't know. It, matters, it kind of matters how, uh, how, how – I don't know. That would have been, that would have been an interesting one. Um, people at West Virginia aren't confident that the ACC would have let them in. Let's put it that way. Well, this is about the third or fourth of one of these Big 12 realignment podcasts we've recorded in the last year. I don't think it's going to be the last. I think that this is going to consume our industry until October or whenever Bob Bowlesby said they might um, actually come to a decision, although the way that conference operates, it'll probably go to next June. Um, but, but we're off to a great start. Pete, we thank you for coming on today. You can read his work, obviously, on SI.com. Twitter handle, go ahead and plug it. I think it's at SIP Thamel. That's right, at SIP Thamel. And yeah. um, any any other upcoming uh, projects you want to you want to plug right now? Well, we got our college football preview coming out in a couple of weeks. That's what I should be working on right now. So um, yeah, no, nothing, uh, nothing. Really. I appreciate you guys. You guys having me on. Uh, it's always always fun. Always a pleasure. All right, Pete. Thanks yeah, for doing it. Yeah, I just it. want to make sure everybody knows I know more about Big 12 finances than George, okay? So oh, is that Syracuse greater than Wachata Baptist? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag yes. <laughs> He's going to be so crushed. All right, Bruce, we're going to get back to the podcast in a second. But first, a word from our very loyal sponsor, Books.com. As you know, no woman in her right mind would turn away a peace offering of Books flowers. They're grown at eco-friendly farms on the side of a volcano. Seriously, a volcano. Blooms are larger, colors more vibrant, a better soil and more sun at a lofty 10,000 feet. Gorgeous flowers, hand-delivered to your girl, say, we're still good, right? And apologies don't cost much at Books.com because Books prices start at a mere 40 bucks. There are no upcharges, no extra fees, even deliveries absolutely free when you register with the Books. So, here's the deal. 
Listeners of our show save 20% off the bouquet of your choice. Just go to books.com and enter promo code AUDIBLE. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code AUDIBLE. I know nobody was more thrilled to hear me read that than our good friend Rob Stone. Yes, because I think whenever he screws up, he always sends his wife and his colleagues. I think he's probably sent Alexi Lawless some some books because he maybe cut him off one time or, you know. I think he's, he just loves when I read ad promo. I'm not sure why, but, uh, you know. Happy to happy to do my part. All right, great conversation as always with Pete. I'm, I'm glad we could uh, mix in this uh, very serious topic of realignment with some good levity and humor along the way. Now, a not so humorous topic dominated Big Twelve Media Days for the first day and a half, or I guess two days, because this conference call didn't come till the end of it. Um, tell us about your experiences there and interactions with the various representatives of Baylor. Yeah. I mean, look for two days, both days, it wasn't really big 12 media days. It was Baylor media days because the first day you had right off the bat, Bob Bowlesby was the commissioner of the conference was all over the place. He had some, you know, did some contradictions. He, I think at one point he referred to Jim Grobe as Al Grobe or Al Grobe which was not great. And then afterwards he had, after his press conference, he had about another 25 minutes where he was encircled where a lot of people were one asking about how the other big 12 schools feel about it. It really seemed like you didn't know which direction they were going. And he made it seem like they were one step away from kicking Baylor out of the conference. Yeah. And he brought up some stuff about Baylor, you know, some academic issues that they had had probably went deeper than I think a lot of people had expected. He went in some directions. I know that people were like, wait a minute, those were his prepared marks. Those weren't off the cuff. Some of the things he said that were that felt very clunky, to put it put it mildly. Uh, but then later on and at the end of the day, you had Mac Rhodes, the former Missouri AD, get introduced and meet with the media and fielded questions, as did uh, the interim president, David Garland. And... You know, it was just a lot of Baylor talk, to be honest. And, you know, for two days there, you did have some, you know, Texas is a, is an interesting school right now with all the, you know, questions that are surrounding them And Char- as Charlie Strong enters year three. Oklahoma has a legitimate top five Heisman contender in Baker Mayfield. And, you know, he's an interesting, you know, person to, to talk to. He's quite an interview. And yet it all came back to Baylor. So I was following this on Twitter for the most part. And the thing about Twitter is, obviously, and we've talked about this before, it lacks context. But you're seeing these kind of, you know, snippets of quotes from Bolt, whether it's from Bowlesby, uh, Jim Grobe, the president. And the the sports writers that we know that were covering it were just crushing these guys. You know, I can't believe they're still so tone deaf. They're so insensitive. They still don't get it. And I guess I would ask, I mean, you were there, you were in the room. What was your reaction when, for instance, Jim Grobe said, we don't have a culture problem at Baylor University? Well, I got to be honest. I actually wasn't in the room because I had to go tape something with Bill Snyder, the K-State coach that just happened to be the same window. And so I wasn't there. I went upstairs into the main room and I saw uh, – one of my former colleagues at ESPN goes, could you believe what Grobe just said? And I said, well, what did he say? And he's, you know, said that there hadn't been a culture of bad, there wasn't a culture of bad behavior there. And at, ba- at Baylor university, and I was like, what? And then a few other people brought up some other things. He said that just, you know, it's screamed tone deaf. That's the reaction. It didn't play well yet. When I went on, I did uh, Fox sports two had, it's uh, Southwest crew basically doing the whole you know media days and every interview. They were like, "Well, how is this playing?" And I said, "It's not playing well." And again, you know, it's a little bit of our own echo chamber of you know s- sports media folks. A lot of them, uh, but I think there was a lot of other people who were like, "This." You'd see the reaction to it on Twitter. Now I know Jim Grobe a little bit. I can't say I know him great, but I did cover him you know a decent amount when he was at Wake Forest and. You know, and I had heard that he wasn't going to do much talking outside of the, these media windows that, that were scheduled. 
but I was able to find him downstairs and really, you know, I, I told him, I said to the PR person, I said, hey, I just have one question and it ended up in being a, a 20 minute conversation. And really for me, what I wanted to know was how is this guy who, who used to be the chairman of the AFCA American football coach association association ethics committee, you know, how does he manage this balance between, yeah, I get it. He is trying to be very supportive of the players he has now, but also to not come across as being unsympathetic to the victims or to a lot of people who are going, you know what, this is a bigger issue than football. And given the Pepper Hamilton report, which is a lot of murky details out of it, but the fact that, hey, this is a fact, Art Bryles lost his job, the AD lost his job, and the chancellor and the president there, Ken Starr, all were swept out. And that speaks to something bad was going on there. And so when we talked, you know, he, he did reiterate, you know, what I really wanted people to know was since I've been there, this is a great group of kids. There is no culture that I've witnessed for misconduct. He said, but if you tell me, you know, were there serious issues that weren't handled properly? Yeah, probably so. I mean, that's why these guys aren't there anymore. That's why and it was investigated. And I think that there's a lot of struggle there with how do they how do they talk about the players they have and the people that they have as opposed to some of the you know bad behavior from some a few of them but also the mishandling of it and one of the things that you know we talked to quite a bit about was you know what he's a football coach he's not an investigator and when he goes into this process you know whether it's keeping on Phil Bennett and some of the other assistants you know, he said there was an outside investigation that handled this. There were other guys who were let go in this as quote unquote staff since it wasn't specified who in the findings of facts. And there was just a lot of things that he goes, you know, you have to take some of the assumptions here because that's not my job. And we know that the protocol is in place where it has to be passed on to the Title IX office. And it's a, and it's a, it's the right thing that it's taken out of people's laps. You and I have been very critical of Baylor throughout you know, even even before Art Bryles was fired, and just this whole uh, sordid mess, and and I do believe that a lot of the responses have been tone deaf, especially when Ken Starr was still there. Jim Grove has has had some blunders in terms of his public speaking, but I thought I think people should go read your story where you have the one on one with him. He he explains himself much better in that than he did at the press conference, and I will say this, you know. One area where I think I veer a little bit from maybe some of our colleagues or the public is in the, in the thirst for blood in this scandal, the idea that he that Jim Grove should come in a few months before the season, ha, you know, really only know from what I can tell. I don't think anybody knows more about what happened there than that's than is in that thirteen page report. So he's mostly going off that. That he should have come in and fired all the assistant coaches. Um, I think that's unrealistic and I think that's unfair. Now, part of that is Pepper Hamilton and or the school put him in this position, unfortunately, by their very vague wording throughout that report that says staff, football staff took it upon themselves to speak to the victims. Uh, Football staff didn't follow Title IX um, protocol. That basically implicates the entire coaching staff, whether they were whether they were culpable in this or not. As you said, he they did fire a couple of support staffers, uh, including his longtime football ops guy, which would seem to indicate that, that they were you know involved in this in some way, and that that may be what staff refers to. But to just kind of blindly assume that every position coach on that staff was helping to cover up sexual assault. I just think that's unfair to those guys. And and certainly to Jim Grobe to, to say, why, why didn't you just go in and, and fire everybody? The end of the day, they're all going to be fired at the end of the season because a new coach is going to come in and clean house. But for the inter- like, why, why would you expect the interim coach to come in and do that? First of all, who's he going to hire on three months' notice? Well, I think he could have hired guys on that. And he said he would have done that if it, if it was – if that was what, you know, showed itself to him, you know, his, this is a direct quote from him. Was there an intent to subvert justice? I read the finding of facts. I would assume 
and I probably shouldn't assume things, but my thought is if there were individuals that were still on my staff that had been in a situation where they tried to subvert justice or showed misconduct, that I would have been told that, and I have not been told that. That's where I started. Nobody from the university told me, Coach, so-and-so did this or that, end quote. So then I asked him, but isn't it risky to make those kind of assumptions given what just unfolded at Baylor? This is his answer. I don't think so, given the university hired an independent firm that did a nine-month investigation. That was their report. I would hope that would not be kept a secret if they felt like there were individuals that were doing some really bad stuff. I have to assume that. So, yes, I, I, I don't disagree with him on that. I do think that in his comments at the press conference, some of the comments to you, the one thing I will say is that he keeps saying something to the effect of, well, I tr-, you know, basically he's putting a lot of trust in this investigation and in the university that has done nothing to merit that trust. I would be very skeptical of everything going into the situation that he's going into. And I hope that he's not making some mistakes and decisions because he's basically just saying, well, this is the job they handed me and I trust that everything else is taken care of. But ultimately I think maybe he's being scrutinized a little too heavily. Uh, People think that maybe he's got to, you know, that he would, it's almost like people think that when, when he got there, they took him into a meeting room and said, okay, here's what really happened. I don't think that happened because I don't, I, Baylor seems to be intentionally withholding anything other than what's in that 13-page you know, findings of fact. Yeah. Now, having said all, they yeah, lose the benefit of the doubt here. Right, exactly, and he's giving them a lot of benefit of the doubt. Ultimately, do you think – what do you think? Do you think it's going to – do you think Baylor, under interim coach Jim Grobe – who's never had any experience involved with this offense, uh, who just lost half his incoming freshman, so on and so forth, is going to go out and win 11 games. 11? No, but I think, he'll, I think he'll probably win eight or nine. I mean, they're down to about 70 scholarship guys, which means that that's what they talked about, you know, some of the players talked about. Seth Russell's still a very good quarterback. I mean, he was really productive in this system. They have his... You know, a terrific group of receivers led by KD Cannon, good running back. Now, they do have to replace the offensive line, but they have they have a lot of talent. Now, I think, like I said, I think they're an eight or nine win team. Jim Grove is going to be more more involved in the defense than he will in the offense. That's his background, and also, like you said, he's, this is not a scheme that he's spent much time with before getting here or any time with. But it, the one thing that would hurt them is Seth Russell is coming off a neck injury, and if he gets hurt again. Jared Stidham has, has left the school, left the program. He's transferred out. They don't have much depth. I don't think it's going to be like we saw against UNC where they're going to be able to just, you know, kind of wing it in the run game and just maul people the way they did because the offensive line is, is largely going to have to be rebuilt. That's, that's my feeling. Now, if they, if they lose a couple of games early, will things go south? Because, again, you know, there's been so much for this program to balance around now. Yep, that's, that's my concern. You know, I think the talent is there. I mean, they, they, the talent was there, has been there for four or five years on the offensive side of the ball in particular. But I do think eight or nine wins might be the ceiling, and I think there's the danger that it could go Arkansas, John L. Smith direction. Not because Jim Grove's a bad coach. He is John L. Smith. I'm I, sorry. No, he's a much better coach much. than John L. Smith. But, you know, there, there's a lot of circumstances here that, that you know, frankly – uh, Nick Saban would have trouble de- dealing with if he had to come in uh, three months before the season. And I think you just hit the nail on the head. You know, when it's how do you deal – any good team, it's how do you deal with when things start to go south a little bit. And I, I don't mean like implode. You know, Baylor is used to winning to, – to basically being in contention for the Big 12 title uh, year in and year out. All those players, that's all they've ever experienced. If – and I'm looking at their schedule right now, which has the you know yeah. Look at their schedule. The now. customary they're, they're looking at a five and one start, um, even if things go like they start with Northwestern State. That's a win. SMU, I think, is going to be much better than they were, but I, it's in Waco. I still think they win that. Rice, they should beat. Then they get Oklahoma State at home. I think that's going to be a toss up game because Oklahoma State's pretty good, but they should they have a good chance to win that. Then they go to Iowa State. Then they go to Kansas. I mean. At worst, I see them going five and one there. Okay, let's just say, for the sake of argument, they lose. They start three and zero. They lose to Oklahoma State, and then they get upset at Iowa State. At that point in the season, that's where playing for an interim coach, 
having assistant coaches who are all lame ducks and, you know, are going to have, uh, you know, some of those guys will, will coach their, their asses off right to the end and some of them will start to check out. Some of the players will start to check out. That's where I think things could go south in a hurry for them. My prediction is that they're going to go about 6-6. Six and six. And, wow. and, you know, obviously that's not a reflection of the talent level at Baylor. I just think this is an, a close-to-impossible situation. We're in. For example, you, I mean, it's just such an incredible burden these guys are under. You were around the players that they sent to Big 12 Media Days, and obviously those guys knew what they were getting into. They were going to spend you know, an entire day answering questions mostly about the scandal. I mean, at what point does that just start to wear on guys and, and you know, they, they do what's kind of natural for all human beings and, and kind of check out a little bit? Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, one of the things I, I debated whether to include it in the in the Baylor story I wrote, you know, that's heavy on, you know, Grove, was Seth Russell. Now, Seth Russell found out from a text message that Art Browse was out as his head coach when, when Seth Russell was on a mission trip to Brazil. So, and this is a, by all accounts, a very high character kid from some of the work he has done. Uh off the field and everything like that. But so one of the questions he was asked or a few of the line of questions was about his teammates and leadership and everything like that. And you could kind of feel it was going a little sideways for him in terms of like the line of questioning was, well, you're saying, you know, it was almost like he was, he was parsing. Okay. Well, you know, everybody's going to make their own decisions, meaning teammates. It's not my job to have a leash on them, which kind of runs counter to what you usually hear from quarterbacks, especially in the off season. You know, the quarterback's the leader. He's the coach when the coaches aren't around. And, you know, at one point he said, you know, I'm going to focus on football and let the coaches uh, deal with the character stuff. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a tricky balance for, you know, this Seth, or Seth Rollins, 21 years old or so. I just think you're right. And now I'm not sure how many other times, if at all, this season they're going to have to deal with that level where it's, you know, 20. It's the first time they're talking. It's 25 reporters. It's a lot of cameramen coming at them in waves. You know, in the season when they're playing Oklahoma State, when they're playing Rice, you know, even when they're playing at Texas, I don't think that, you know, when people come around them at games, they're going to be talking about what happened on third and two. They're not going to be talking about what just happened with our Bryles, but still, you know, it's it's a kind of a fascinating window into you know these are still college kids and and how they handle it. So yeah, no question. Um, and the other the other thing I would say is it's not you know it's not as simple as well. Kendall Bryles is still the offensive coordinator. They're going to go out. They're going to run the same offense. Yes, that's a big part of Baylor's success. But I think more than most teams, Baylor in the last four or five years reflected the personality of its coach. Art Bryles is, as you know, brash, cocky, fearless, uh, unorthodox, and they played like that. They were also undisciplined, I should add, I should mention. you know, Often one of the national leaders in penalties committed. Jim Grobe is the opposite of that. And so when you get into a game, you know, this, this, this aura that they've had, you know, if you, once they score th- – couple quick touchdowns on you you're done are you i don't think you can magically bottle that and replicate it so i think there'll still be some of that there's going to be games where they they do the baylor thing and they score 50 60 points but i think there's gonna be other games where that offense really you know what it's not even about the offense as much i also think the defense could just be really terrible just because of who they lost from that defense last year and baylor's never been a dominant defense under our Bryles. they lost some good players and I think I've made my point at this point. I'm a little pessimistic about Baylor's season. One yeah. last thing. We've gone really long, but we want to get to one other quick story. The ACC network is going to be announced, uh, possibly by the time you've already listened to this podcast. But uh, news, the, the report came out early in the week. Uh, it's been talked about for a long time. We've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I was skeptical, actually. that I thought if they were going to announce something with ESPN, it would be some sort of digital offering. And they are going to start that in – 2016 but they are actually going to launch a cable network in 2019 Stu, who had it first who was the first person to really go out there and say this is going to happen 
especially with the specifics of that year, our good friend Tim Brando. Tim Brando came on the Audible and called his shot. So yeah. now the question becomes, will the rest of his, the even bigger prediction that he made, will that come to life? No, I will predict Tim Brando will not make Dancing with the Stars. No, 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 no. Oh, Tim Brando came out and said there's going to be an ACC network in 2019 and that Notre Dame is going to join as a full member because of it. That's the part let's all sit back and watch. If Tim, if that turns out to be true, I think um, we should, we should, you know, our bosses should – should put on the, the Tim Brando hour on and just let him riff for an hour straight. I was on that. I, I worked at a network where it was more, more than Tim. I think we had 25, 25% of our daily coverage of the network was actually Tim Brando's show. We're, we need to bring, if this happens, we need to bring back the Tim Brando show so he can tell us what's going to happen in the world stock markets, um, the presidential election, uh, and, 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 and everything else. Um, I yeah. think there's a better chance of you getting on Dancing with the Stars than Jamie Horowitz or John Entz listening to your advice on that. Uh, I would agree. But kudos to Tim. We'll get into that in more detail. Um, we'll get into that in more detail when we're a little bit removed from this Big 12 news, which is kind of uh, dominating the day. Also, we should note that we're both going to be at Big 10 Media Days next yeah, week. Yeah, lots to talk about. Stu, I got to go to the dentist soon, so let's wrap this up. Excuse me, I didn't mean to infringe on your dentist appointment. Blame Pete. He was so long-winded, and we had to keep waiting for those fire engines. Yeah. Uh, no, Pete was great, and uh, there's just a lot to talk about. As always, if you enjoy the Audible, you should subscribe. Uh, I just realized we, we went back on our word. I said we were going to answer emails on this podcast. I did not anticipate the Big 12 announcing realignment. So we will... We'll have to put that off for a little bit, and I'm sure by the time we do it next time, you'll have asked us a whole bunch of Big 12 realignment questions. You can send those to the audiblepod at gmail.com. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, tell your friends, get them to subscribe as well, and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. We'll see you next time.